Well, good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to see you here today uh, at the Vista. If we haven't met before, my name is Austin. I get to serve here as one of our lead pastors. If you join us for the first time, first time in a long time, we're so glad to have you today. We hope that you feel loved and welcomed and wanted, that you fit right in and you make yourself at home here today at the Vista. Uh, now, as you've probably noticed, if you've been around here a few times, we're, we're doing things a little bit different this morning, and that's because we are in the last week of our series called Good Vibes Only, a series where we are kind of lingering in the wake of the good news of Easter. And you might be thinking to yourself, Easter? Austin, Easter was, was weeks ago, man. All the candy is being consumed and all of the little kid yacht club outfits have been put back up. I never know why we do that with our kids, dress them up like Central Texas Yacht Club on Easter. But all the outfits are back in storage, and so uh, I understand that Easter's a big day for you pastors, but man, you've you got to move on with your life a little bit, Uncle Rico. You know, we've, we've moved past Easter, and that's a fair point, but I, I do want to remind you that Easter is actually not just a day, but Easter is a season. It's a season that actually lasts for 50 days. And do you want to know why? Well, you might recall that Lent is this season leading up to Easter. It's the 40 days leading up to Easter where we are really mindful of our sinfulness and our mortality so that when we get to the crucifixion, we've kind of prepared our hearts for it. And so if the sad and somber season of Lent lasts for 40 days, then Easter has to at least last for 50 days because the good news is better than the bad news, right? And so that is the very theological reason why we have a theological obligation to linger in the good news of Easter. And Easter is not just a day. And so here's what we're going to do today. Uh, if you've ever read through the Psalms, then you've probably noticed that the Psalms take us on a bit of a roller coaster, don't they? I mean, man, you have the lowest of lows in the Psalms. You've got people uh, struggling to find a reason to keep living people in the throes of trauma and shame and doubt and pain, people whimpering words of despair. But then you've also got the highest of highs in the Psalms, people overwhelmed with laughter, love, rowdiness, and revelry, people struggling to find expressions of joy big enough to express their gratitude, people shouting joy from the rooftops. And so the Psalms take us on a roller coaster because life is a roller coaster. But it's very important to take note of how the ride ends. Because how the ride ends determines just about everything else about the ride, doesn't it? And so how does this psalm ride that would go on the Salter roller coaster end? Does it end on a low note? You know, sad, scared, angry, angsty? Well, no. Well, does it end on like a, a modest note? Temperate, restrained, mild-mannered? Well, no. Because rather than ending on a low or a modest note, the Psalms end on the biggest, loudest, most thunderous and rip-roaring crescendo of praise the universe has ever heard. Psalm 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150 are the last five Psalms in the book of Psalms. And they are known as the Hallelujah Psalms because they all begin and end with this Hebrew phrase, Hallelujah, which means literally praise Yahweh or praise the Lord. We're given all sorts of different reasons why it's good and right and fitting for us to praise God, and we'll get into that over the course of the morning. But first, let's just note that according to the Psalms, this ridiculous roller coaster ride called life that we're all on is not going to end with a period or with a question mark or with a palm face emoji, but rather this wild ride that we're all on is going to end 
with an Easter exclamation point, baby. Uh, The hallelujah psalms that close out the book of Psalms remind us that when all has been said and done and when everything has been accounted for, and, and I mean everything, every tear, every fear, every loss that every single human has ever incurred, what we're gonna be left saying and singing at the end of it all is what? Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Now, to be clear, <clears throat> I'm not telling you that you have to believe this. I, I know that all, all, we've all experienced things that might make that really hard for you to believe. Right? I'm not telling you that you have to believe this. I'm just telling you that this is what Christianity believes. And so if you find that hard to believe this morning because you're, you're stuck in a low place or you're stuck in that mild, modest middle, I, I understand. And most importantly, Jesus understands. Uh, but perhaps we can start singing our way out of that this morning. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to read each of these five hallelujah psalms that end the book of Psalms, and we're going to stand up, and we're going to sing them together. It's going to be a little bit of worship calisthenics for you. You Episcopals will be very happy about this this morning. And so our first psalm is Psalm 146, and it's a psalm about the unreliability of man and the reliability of God. Don't trust in princes, that's what the psalmist says, but rather trust in the God of Jacob. It's a psalm about a God who chooses the unchosen people, a God who helps those who cannot help themselves. And it's a psalm that basically speaks for itself. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to stand. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to sing this psalm together. So if you're able, stand. We'll read Psalm 146. Get started here. Right? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Now, don't trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. But how blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever and ever and ever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's sing it together. I raise a hallelujah In the presence of my enemies I raise a hallelujah Louder than the I raise a hallelujah My weapon is a melody I raise a hallelujah Heaven comes to fight for me I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm Everything you have. 
right, y'all can grab a seat. Our next psalm, Psalm 147. Oh, it, it toggles between the macro and the micro. It, it zooms out to the heavens and then it zooms in to the human heart. And whether it's zoomed out or zoomed in, what it sees is a universe that is filled with the faithfulness of God. Verse 4 tells us that God names and numbers the stars. Think about that. 100 billion of them last time I checked in our galaxy alone. It's a lot of stars. It's probably a star out there with your name on it somewhere. And I don't know about you, but um, it leaves you feeling a little bit small, doesn't it? After all, what are you compared to a star? What do you got going for you? You make six figures? Oh, your kid's a Little League All-Star? That's amazing. The Instagram post got a thousand likes. I didn't know I was in the presence of such royalty, okay? Hear me out. But it would appear to me as though this universe is ours. has been meticulously designed to make us feel very small. But this smallness is not meant to impress upon us our insignificance so much as it's meant to impress upon us God's significance. And more importantly, the significance of God's enormous faithfulness to such small creatures. Just listen to verses 2 through 5. It says, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. I love that line. God's understanding is infinite. I think one of the greatest myths out there about God is that God is, you know, like unreasonable. That God asks too much of us. That God just doesn't understand us. God doesn't know what it's like to be us. But not so, says the psalmist, because not only does God understand, but God is actually the only person who completely understands you. In point of fact, God understands you better than you understand yourself. There is nothing about you, no thought, no desire, no fear, no worry, no nothing that God does not completely know about. And not only does God know about it, but God understands it because God's understanding is infinite. Now, that doesn't mean that God endorses everything that you've thought or said or felt, but it does mean that you never, ever, ever have to wonder if God understands it because God's understanding is infinite. My other favorite verse in Psalm 147 is verse 11. Here's what it says. The Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. God loves it when we wait for him to be kind to us. My little girl is three years old, and she is in that um, mama's the bomb, and who's this really annoying guy named dad who lives in our house phase of childhood. And you dad's been there. It's a, it's a fun one. Uh, I put on a brave face, but I can't lie. It hurts my feelings a little bit. Every morning, man, she'll come down from her room dressed from head to toe like a colorblind princess. Y'all should see some of these outfits. <laughs> we haven't had her tested yet, but not looking great. Not looking great. And I will just shower her with compliments. I'm like, oh my gosh, Quinn, it's so great to see you, sweet girl. You look beautiful. What do you want for breakfast? Anything. Make any request. French toast from France. I'll jump on a plane and I'll get it for you. And she will just stare at me. She will ignore all of my compliments. She will sneer at my benevolent proposal. She'll look me dead in the eyes and she'll just go, where's mom? in the bedroom. Why won't you let me love you? You know, the psalmist tells us that far from being too busy for us, 
or, or being frustrated by us and our neediness. It makes God happy when we wait for him to be kind to us. Isn't that amazing? I said, now let's stand and let's read it in its entirety. Psalm 147. Hallelujah. Again, praise the Lord for it's good to sing praises to our God. It's pleasant and praise is becoming. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. The Lord supports the afflicted. He brings the wicked to the ground. So sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises to our God on the lyre who covers the heavens with clouds, who provides rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens which cry. He does not delight in the strength of the horse nor take pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. So praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your sons and daughters within you. He makes peace in your borders. He satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends forth his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like rule. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts forth his ice as fragments. Who can stand before his cold? He sends forth his word then, and he melts them. He causes the wind to blow and the waters to flow. He declares his words to Jacob, his statutes, and his ordinances to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other people. And as for his ordinances, they have not known them. So praise the Lord. Amen. Let's sing about it. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and of faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting saint, I will praise your name. And great is your faithfulness to me. There's nothing you can't do, you're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to 
Amen. All right, y'all grab another seat. Our next hallelujah psalm, Psalm 148. It picks up on a thread that Psalm 147 left dangling for us. Psalm 147, if you remember, hopefully it was like three minutes ago. Uh, we had a few mentions of the stars, the heavens, the mountains, the grass, the wind, the waters. But Psalm 148, it just takes it over the top, starting at the top. We're told that the heavens, the heights, the angels, and even the sun and the moon should praise God. Right? And then it dips all the way down to the very, very bottom when we're told that even the sea monsters in the deepest abyss of the ocean are made to praise God. And so there it is in the Bible. The conspiracy theorists were right. Sea monsters are real. It's biblical, right? You see that? Oh, my picture didn't go down. It was the stupidest picture ever. You ought to get that back up there. Isn't that the dumbest picture you've ever seen? I know. I had to use it. Um, so Giovanni di Pietro di Bernardone, better known as St. Francis of Assisi or Assisi. Uh, he is a mystic monk who lived back in the 13th century. And while he's known for many things because his piety was quite legendary, he's probably best known as the patron saint of animals and the environment. Uh, here's a picture of him. And um, which is basically to say St. Francis was kind of like the saint of creation, right? Not a bad gig to be the saint of creation. Christopher was the saint of travel, and Francis got all the rest of it, okay? He got creation. Uh, And so this enormous honor was bestowed upon him because he was someone who saw the world as this very, very magical and enchanted place wherein every single thing that existed was, in its own way, alive. Everything. And thus, every single thing that existed was capable, in its own way, of praising the God who'd made it. And so he calls the sun his brother and the moon his sister. And there are all these stories about him like preaching to the birds and talking to the trees. And there's even this one really, really wild story about Francis and the man-eating wolf of Gubbio. I'm not kidding. Um, There was this small Italian village that was apparently being terrorized by this man-eating wolf. And so Francis eventually decided that he'd had enough of this nonsense. So he, he marches out into the hills outside the town. He finds this wolf, and then he marches the wolf back into the town in order to broker a peace treaty between the wolf and the villagers. Here's a painting of it. My favorite part of this painting, and I didn't notice it till this morning, are these dismembered arms and legs up there at the top of it. It's amazing. I didn't even realize those were there. Yeah. And... Um, as it turns out, this wolf was, he was a very reasonable fellow. And so he actually agreed that he would stop eating the villagers if they would just agree to leave him like a little, little 12-count Chick-fil-A to-go order every once in a while. I'll quit ripping your legs off if you just leave me some nuggets. And so allegedly, this is the little peace treaty that was brokered. These are Francis's words. I'm not kidding. As thou, wolf, art willing to make this peace, I promise thee that thou shalt be fed every day by the inhabitants of this land, so long as thou shalt live among them. Thou shalt never suffer any hunger, but if I obtain all this for thee, wolf, thou must promise to never again attack any animal or any human being. Dost thou make this promise? And in, uh, apparently both sides agreed to this, um, and in that most sacred of vows, the wolf put his paw in Francis's hand, and they shook on it. I'm not kidding. Here it is. Francis and the wolf of Gubbio making a peace treaty. Now, look, I don't know if this story is true. Can neither confirm nor deny. Not going to be shaking paws with any man-eating wolves anytime soon, but I do find it undeniably biblical to believe that this wild world of ours is alive in ways that we could never even begin to comprehend. And if we could only like tune into the right frequency, you know what I mean? 
then what we would hear ringing out would not be a universe full of complaining, bickering, and brawling. No, if we could only tune into the right frequency, then what we would hear ringing out from both the deepest void of like the time-space continuum and the deepest recesses of those volcanic vents at the bottom of the abyss would be what? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so now let's stand. We're going to read Psalm 148 together. This is one of my favorites. And then we'll join in with uh, Brother Sun and Sister Moon and the Wolf of Gubbio. And uh, we'll sing about it together. This is Psalm 148. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord from the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded them and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He's made a decree which will not pass away. Now, praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters. There it is. In all the deeps, fire and hell, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth and all the peoples, princes and judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He has lifted up a horn for his people. Praise for all of his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's sing it together. And 
What measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. All right, y'all can grab a seat. For our next psalm, Psalm 149, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to read the psalm first, and I think you'll understand why. So psalm 149. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song in his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Let them sing praises to him with timbrel and lyre, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. So let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is an honor for all of his godly ones. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, This psalm starts out on such a joyful note, doesn't it? Oh, let's be glad in our maker. Let's rejoice. Let's put on our dancing shoes and get this party started. It's very happy stuff. But then the psalm takes this very abrupt and kind of dark turn in verses 6 through 7. Okay, we'll read it again. It says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. Yay. And a two-edged sword in their hand. Huh? To execute judgment on the nations and punishment on the peoples. Ugh, at least that's filled with my reactions when I read it. Yay. Oh, oh Lord. Uh, the writer is basically like, God, we love you, God. We love you. You, you made us. You, you sustain us. You redeemed us, God. You are so good, and you are so merciful. And while we have your attention, here's a list of people we'd like you to kill for us. You can start at the top. Um, I've actually got it in descending order of priority already sorted there for you. Um, it, this brings us to a very important lesson about how to read the Bible in general and then Psalms in particular. Okay, and here's the lesson. Not everything said in the Bible is something endorsed by God. Not everything said in the Bible is something endorsed by God. You may be wondering, wait, is that heresy? No, I I promise it's not. So let's take a very obvious and infamous example. Psalm 137, which as many of you may be aware, it's the psalm that ends with this rather horrific wish for vengeance, wherein Israel, through the psalmist, pronounces blessings upon people who murder Babylonian children. Okay, here's what it says, Psalm 137, verse 6. Psalm 137, verse 6, up on the screen. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Now, to state the obvious, uh, this is in the Bible. You see it right there. But this is not something that is endorsed by God. God doesn't want anyone to kill Babylonian babies, I I promise. Uh, Because not everything said in the Bible is something endorsed by God. This is especially important to remember when we're reading the Psalms. Because the Psalms aren't necessarily telling us how we're supposed to feel about everything. So much as the Psalms just honestly express how we do feel about everything. That distinction makes sense? The Psalms aren't telling us, hey, this is how you're supposed to feel about this, 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 and this. No, it's just, hey, this is how we humans do feel about this, 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 and this. And so the Psalms are filled with these unfiltered expressions of rage and fury, not because God agrees with all of our rage and fury. He doesn't. But rather because of Psalm 137 just reminds us God understands it. And God wants to find a way to redeem it. 
even our rage and our fury. And so in Psalm 149, Israel's anger, it boils over because they're tired of being bullied and oppressed. And so while they are grateful that God has delivered them, they also want God to deliver a little pain to their enemies. Anybody been there? Right? And so you heard it right there. Let the praises of God be in your mouth and a sword in your hand. Hallelujah. And off with their heads. There's a little bit of that going on here. And our desire to execute judgment upon the unjust, it is, it's understandable. And in certain ways, it is good but it has also been significantly complicated by Jesus and his gospel. Because as it turns out, a judgment executed upon the unjust is a judgment that falls on everybody. It falls on you. It falls on me. And it's a judgment that, thanks be to God, has fallen fully upon Jesus the Messiah. And so Psalm 149's wishes were fulfilled. And God's judgment was executed, but it was fulfilled in a way beyond the expectations of even the writer of Psalm 149, right? Praise the Lord, hallelujah, because God has judged his enemies. Thanks be to God, which included you. And you have been judged guilty of all the charges, but you've also been judged forgiven and loved. Because as Karl Barth once reminded us, The judge, capital T, capital J, you know what I'm talking about? The judge has been judged in our place for our sins. Amen? And so what we're going to do now is we're going to stand, and we're going to read Romans 5, 6, and 8, which serves as a sort of rejoinder to what we just read in Psalm 149. So y'all stand with me. We'll read Romans 5, 6, and 8 together. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for who? For the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Amen. Let's sing about it. I've tried and I've tried make myself clean but no matter how hard I try still stains on me but you stepped in and did what I can so I'm letting go my life in your When you died in my place, now forever I'll live, and forever I'm free, cause you laid down your life on Calvary. I've tried and I've I still feel the 
Amen. All right, y'all take one last seat. We come to our final psalm, Psalm 150. And y'all, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but this one's just so much fun. Uh, it's like this massive hallelujah 
encore, wherein we're told that in light of God's glory, God's beauty, God's mercy, God's faithfulness, in light of all the good and wonderful things that God has done and all the wonderful things that God is, we have a theological and moral obligation to praise God with dancing and with very, 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 very loud music. We're told that we're supposed to praise God with like the tambourines and the trumpets, with the strings and the synthesizers, with rapping and crooning. And most importantly, we're supposed to praise God with very, very, very loud drums, which is why Joel has a biblical responsibility to beat the crap out of those drums every single week. And he does a very great job of this for us every single week. Right? All that to say, y'all, how, how does the ride end? Because that's what it all comes down to, right? How does the ride end? How does this wild ride called life that we're all on going to end? Well, I, I hope that you get your earplugs packed for eternity because we're told that this ride is going to end with the loudest, rowdiest, most joyful song that has ever been sung, that when everything has been said and done and everything has been taken into account, what we're going to be left singing for all eternity is what? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so let's stand and sing it one last time here. Psalm 150 to wrap it all up. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and with dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Anybody have a pipe? That's the only thing we're missing. Praise him with loud cymbals, Joel. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. One last time, let's sing it together.
you 